You're listening to the Fervent Church Podcast, a church in the Austin area who exists so that people may know Jesus. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged, challenged, and strengthened in your relationship with Jesus today. For more teachings, information, or to support our ministry, please visit fervent.church. We pray you're blessed by the message. So Father, we thank you that we can join online. God, I want to first off pray that our internet connection and stream would be strong, Lord, that it wouldn't break up or wouldn't cut out, Lord, but that people would hear the word that they need to hear, Lord, the word in season, God, that they need today, tonight, maybe tomorrow if they're watching this on on Facebook, or maybe the next day if they're listening on podcasts, or maybe even a couple weeks, months, or years from now, God, we pray that you would give us the word that we need God, that you would just be our, our teacher, Lord, that you'd be our, our, just our everything, God, that you give us our perspective of life, why we're here, what we're trying to do. So, Lord, we just look to you, look to your word tonight, bless this time, in Jesus' name, we said, type it in the chat, guys, come on, amen, if you guys have been with us for any amount of time and looking at our Saturday night services uh, you know that we just want to have some interaction, and this isn't just like for Facebook. This is how church is going to be. It's like we want an interactive church. We're in this together. So when you hear something that you like, man, give us uh, amen, some praise hands, a fire emoji. Just be invested. If you got a question, shoot it off in the chat. Our team is online with you guys right now, trolling along. So if you got a question, shoot it out there. Um, our team will be happy to try and answer that question if they can. Um, and then also interact with one another. Let's actually, hey, right now, let's take 10 seconds, say hello to somebody that is streaming along with you right now. All right, 10 seconds. Ready to go. If you see someone on there, it says like, hey, Ron Smith is watching. What's up, Ron? We are so glad to have you. Hey, Carl, uh, yeah, Carl's watching. Glad to have you. Let's see what else we got here. Loud and clear, 1,200 miles away. Praise the Lord right there. Tanya, you're you're. Uh, streaming with us. Melissa, my mom, Karen, she's here. So great. Um, glad to see you guys. Um, again, just be interactive, be involved. This isn't just um, something to consume. It's something to actually be um, a part of. So anyways, tonight we're con- continuing our study or our series perspective. It's a study in Philippians. And hopefully you guys have been as blessed as I have and even challenged as I have. I feel like this last week was very challenging, one of the most uh, challenging weeks that I've had um, in a long time, really, to be honest. But honestly, challenge is not a bad thing, guys. Challenge, um, diversity, trials, hardship, just different things coming at you from different angles. It feels bad in the moment, right? We don't all like change per se, but like afterwards and we see the result of it, um, it's actually a good thing. And so this has really been challenging for me. Um, So some of the things that we've looked at over the past few weeks is that we've seen, hopefully, that perspective matters. Perspective matters. Type that in the chat there. Remember, perspective matters. How you view something, uh, it matters deeply because if you look at something wrong, right, um, I gave that example of a little sphere that I had, one of my kids' toys. It's like if you shine some light on it and you have this perspective, on one perspective, it looks like a circle. And you look at the shadow, right, and it looks like a circle, maybe it's a ball or something. That's not all that it is. But then the other perspective, you turn the sphere sideways, shine some light on it properly uh, or in the right way, it looks like a square. 
But then you look at the object and you're like, but it's not a square. See, the, the way we look at things matters because if we look at things with the wrong perspective, we'll get the wrong perception or we'll get the wrong understanding. Remember, proper perception leads to proper perception, right? The proper view of something will lead to the proper understanding of that thing. Um, so we, we're learning that perspective matters. Someone last week in the chat, I, I was reading through some of the comments later on, they said that that likewise improper perspective leads to deception. And I was like, man, that'll preach. That'll preach. I wish I would have thought of that and put that in my sermon title or my sermon notes, right? It's like proper perspective leads to proper perception, but improper per perspective leads to deception. Whoo, wow, man. So we're learning that perspective matters. Last week we looked at the topic eternal perspective, right? Paul's writing us um, this message from prison. Which is crazy. You have to have that context in mind as you read through this. It's like if you didn't have that context, you would just be like, oh, this is a great teaching, right? But when you understand, like, no, Paul is not in a great place, he's in prison. Um, and that has many implications. And so we looked at the topic eternal perspective. Essentially, what we saw, um, hopefully, um, and if you didn't join us in, this is what you missed, is that we should see everything. Every opportunity, whether good or bad, every situation that we face, whether good or bad, as something that matters eternally, something that impacts eternity, right? See, we, we kind of talked about it last week. Maybe some of you watching tonight, you've lost a job through this whole COVID-19 and layoffs happening, right? Businesses closing, different stuff like that. So you lost a job. But if we can look at losing a job with an eternal perspective, it's like we realize all of a sudden, I lost my job. But so did millions of other Americans. And so some of those Americans are in your sphere of influence. They worked with you or they are part of your family. They're your friends. Who knows? But they're looking at your life now and they're saying, well, you told me that you had the, the keys to the kingdom, right? Like you told me that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life and that no one gets to the Father except through him. You told me that you're a Christian and that you're following Christ and that I should too. Well, now that the, the stuff has hit the fan in a sense, right, with everybody losing a job, they're looking at you who lost a job and they want to see how you react. See, if you lost a job and you react with doubt, with fear and just... I mean, fear, is again, is not a bad thing, right? Faith is not the absence of fear, but it's moving forward in spite of fear. See, eternal perspective where, hey, me losing my job, it's not the greatest thing. I would never wish it on anybody, but I lost my job. People are watching how I'm going to respond, and I want to give them hope. I want to give them, a, uh, yeah, I want to give them hope. I want them to be able to see me persevering, pushing through. No, I don't know how things are going to work out, but I'm trusting God and I'm moving forward. See, if we have eternal perspective, even something like losing a job, we can look at it and say, yeah, it's not what I want, but I can use it to glorify Christ. So losing a job, starting a new job maybe even, right? Sickness, staying at home, it all matters. Um, and we've got to have that, that eternal perspective perspective on it. Paul looked at his situation in prison as an opportunity. He didn't see it as opposition. He saw it as an opportunity that whether he lives or dies, and this is the text that we looked at last week, he says that his perspective, his view of where he's at, he's like, I just want to honor Christ. I just hope that Christ is honored whether I live or die. And so what he's saying, he says in the text last week, um, that if I'm to stay in the flesh, like here on earth, he's like, that just means fruitful labor for me. 
whether I'm in prison or not, and it doesn't really matter. He's like, if I'm in prison, well then cool, I'm going to make the most of it. And he even said in chapter 1 that all of the, the people in the prison, in the imperial guard, know that his imprisonment is for Christ. He says that even through that, through those bad circumstances, many people are hearing about the boldness that Paul has, that even in the midst of opposition, he's using it as an opportunity to preach Christ. And now all of a sudden people are like, man, if Paul can do that, man, my situation isn't that bad, so I can do it too. You see, he's using it as an opportunity, and he's using it to honor Christ. And we asked the question last week, it's like, can you say that what you're doing, what you're going through, you have the, the mindset, the attitude that, Whatever it is, it's to honor Christ. That my heart's desire is that Christ would be honored. We ended last week on a note, um, and it was kind of a hard note, really, but um, to seek to suffer. Seek to suffer. And that's kind of a, a, it's not something you want to hear, right? It's like, wow, that's a little crazy. Nick, you mean like in, seek to inflict pain upon myself? No, that's not what I mean. But what we... We're going to elaborate on this a bit tonight, but Paul ends chapter 1, and he says, It has been granted to you, meaning like it's been gifted to you, like you have this op opportunity, you have this privilege. Um, and he's saying, it's been granted to you, not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. Suffer for his sake. Um, hopefully this is still working here, my iPad's frozen. Um... Let me know in the comments, say it, it's streaming loud and clear, we're good. Just to let me know um, that I don't need to restart this thing. But he says, it's been granted to us not only to believe in Jesus, but to suffer for his namesake. And so, so many times, I mean, I think in life, you and I can probably agree we've been there, right? Where we believe in Jesus and we kind of think that that's enough. Right. Well, I believe in Jesus. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says that you shall be saved. And that's true. But the Christian walk doesn't end there. Oh, well, I'm a Christian now. I believe in Jesus. No, now it's time to follow. Now it's time to follow. I see some of you saying you're good. Um, looks good. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Just need to make sure um, with this whole thing going on. So, um Many of us, we stop there. We're like, well, I'm a Christian now. I believe in Jesus. I have my eternal security, and I'm just going to continue living life as is. No, Christ doesn't just call you to surrender to him and believe in him. He's actually calling you to participate in his suffering. And we're going to look at what that kind of looks like tonight in, the, in Christ's perspective. Um, but um, suffering for Jesus looking at moments of suffering, trials, hardship, um, not as bad, not getting down, depressed, and discouraged, but using it and seeing it as moments of opportunity. Uh, as moments of opportunity. Um, I will say, before we get into this too, is if you've missed our previous messages, uh, go back to our podcast. You can find them um, on our website, fervent.church, or find it on podcast, church, uh, search for fervent.church, and you can catch up on these things, really. Um, I related it to um, like math class, like algebra class, right? It's like if you miss a week or you miss four weeks and then you jump in on week five and the teacher's talking about um, quadratic equations, it's like, what, what, wait, what? Quadratic what? I don't know what you're talking about, right? It's like, well, that's because you missed the weeks prior. So 
jumping in tonight. Like, we're glad that you're here. We'd love for you to stay on and stream this. But, man, go back and listen to those messages so you can get the full context of what's being said. Um, but tonight, again, we're looking at Christ's perspective, or another way to say it is Christ's mindset, the mind of Christ. It's been said of many brilliant, successful people, successful scholars, that they are one of the most brilliant minds of their time, right, or of our time, we've heard from people nowadays. I think specifically of a man who um, just went to be with Jesus, Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias, man, he is just a man that, one of the most brilliant minds of our time, one of the most brilliant theologians, one of the most gracious um, people who could just speak so eloquently in our day and age, and he just went to a he passed from death to life to be with Jesus, and as sad as that is, man, it really actually makes me excited. I'm like, dude, the guy finished his race. He finished well. How exciting is that? Now he's before his maker, his creator, just praising God for all of eternity, and so I love that. But Robbie Zacharias, definitely one of the most brilliant minds of our time. Um, a guy to follow his example. If you've never listened to him before, go listen to him. I, I promise you, you will be captivated by the stuff that he says. Man, he's just so gifted. But even among the greatest minds of our day and age, even the greatest minds um, of generations past, none of them compare to the mindset, um, the perspective of Christ. I mean, can I get just an amen if you agree with that? Um, or a yes, uh, that's good, right? It's like none of the great people who have lived life successfully, been great, made a huge impact on earth, whether they're Christian or not, none of their minds, their, their mindset and perspective compared to the mindset and perspective of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 is, this, is where we're at. So get out your Bibles, man. We would love for you to read, the, read God's word for yourself. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 1, he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being, being in full accord and of one mind. So he, he ends this whole statement. He's like, I mean, and to rewind back to last week, he says, let your life be one that's worthy of the gospel. He's like, whether I'm there and I'm present or I'm gone and absent, whether I live to see you again or I sell, he's like, let your life be worthy of the gospel. And so then he goes on to say, it's like, you should uh, not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. So, and he goes on this, he says, so if there is any, and, and what he there, he's not questioning, per se, if there is, like, hey, do you have any, um, any love, any participation in the Spirit, right, any affection, any sympathy, any encouragement, right, he's not asking that literally, is there any, because I think, obviously, without a doubt, there is, so, Obviously, he's not saying if there is, he's saying because there is, and he'll get to the point, he said, so if there is any of these things, encouragement, comfort from love, participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance of one mind. This is what I, I love right here. Highlight this, underline it or something, take note of it for sure. He says, if there is any... 
Underline that word, any. I actually have it underlined in this Bible right here. I got it highlighted on my iPad. But if there is encouragement, complete my joy. I, I love what he's saying here because he's not saying, uh, now if you have it all together, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same accord, same mind. No, he's not saying, he's like, if you know what love is completely and you have a full understanding and, and uh, depth and width of what love is, um, then complete my joy. He's not saying if you all walk in the, the spirit and you're just on fire for Christ, never doing anything wrong, you're always loving, always forgiving people, always serving people. He's not saying if you're always in sync with one another, united together. See, he's not saying like you got to be perfect. He's like if there is any, just a little bit. If there's just a little bit of love, a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of sympathy, he's, he goes on to say, it's like, complete my joy. And I think so many times is that what, what we need to understand is that what we have is what we need, right? Like we have all that we need. So many times it's like, well, if I had just a little bit more faith, if I had just a little bit more understanding of what God's word was, if I just had a little bit more of the Holy Spirit in my life, if I just had a few more Christian friends and Christian influences, then I could really shine for Christ. Then I could really live up to my potential and my purpose that God has for me. But what you have is what you need. He's saying, if you have any love then or any encouragement, complete my joy. Complete my joy. Do you have any encouragement in Christ? have any love? Do you have any sympathy or affection um, for Christ tonight? So Paul's saying, well, then you got what you need. Don't stop waiting for life to get better and all the stars to align that, hey, once all these things happen and once I get this, um, this struggle or sin under control, and once I figure out how to do this and that and the other thing, um, then I'll really be effective for Christ. No, it's like if you have anything in Christ, just a little bit, um, you got what you need. You got what it takes. I, I think you need to believe that about yourself tonight. Like you have what it takes to do what God wants you to do. Just for a second, no successful businessman or woman was ever super successful and um, profitable just from day one. Right? They, they were never just super profitable because they had it all together. Like when they started out their first startup business right from day one, like they didn't have it all together. They didn't understand it all, but they became successful because they started with what they have. You see what I'm saying? Like if you have a little bit of faith, if you have a little bit of encouragement, just use that and pour into it. Complete the joy. Have the mind of Christ is what he's going to get onto. Um, but an example of this businessman, just think about Steve Jobs for a second. He's a man who lived, right? And he's, he's gone on. He's died, passed away. We don't know where he's at. But, um, and I'm not here to say if he's a great man or uh, a bad man or anything. But what we, what we can say about him is he is a very successful man. He was a man who failed early on. He was very smart, very intelligent. But he, he took what he had. He did something with it, right? He started off the Macintosh company, later on to become Apple. He actually stepped away from it or got fired from it. I don't know what happened. Like it kind of looked like a failure, if you will. But then he came back to Apple and made it what it is today. So it's like no successful person in life became all of a sudden successful just because like, oh, I got it all together now and the stars have aligned. No, they start with what they have. And we need to start with what we have. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, His divine power, God's divine power has granted to us all things. Someone say it with me. All things that pertain to life 
you know, water, food, shelter, um, clothing, and godliness. So what Peter's trying to tell us there in 2 Peter chapter 1, he's like, hey, you have what you need. I know you feel like you need more, but he's like, no, just use what you have, man. You have what you need for life. You don't need more money. You don't need it. You don't need more comfort. You don't need more security. You just need more Jesus. You need to lean into him more. He's like, you don't need um, to try and hold the Ten Commandments all perfectly for an X amount of time to become um, this reverent, uh, God-fearing person. It's like, no, you have what you need. God has given us what we need to succeed. Someone say it with me. God's given me what I need to succeed. God's given me what I need to succeed. And so he says in verse 2, he says, Well, then complete my joy. If there's anything, if there's just a little tiny ounce of love, encouragement, anything, guys. And, and Paul's not, again, saying, asking the question if there is, because he knows that there is. Right? It's like, I know there's something in you. Like, you guys wouldn't help me and support me if there wasn't. So he's trying to like, if there's anything in you, complete my joy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. And that's how he says, hey, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And what he's saying is be united. United in mindset and processes and, and um, in direction. He says, um, complete my mind by, or complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. Right? What is that going to take though? Let's just be realistic. I love to be practical. When God's Word gives us something like this, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does that look like in our life? Because if we just read this, we're like, okay, God's Word is good and it's powerful and encouraging, but we don't do anything with it. We don't break it down into applicable um, steps in our life. Like, well, then what good does it really do? Honestly, knowledge without application is really worthless. So we got to have that application. So what does it look like to have the same mind? How, what's it going to take? To have the same mind. Well, communication, right? Communicating with one another. It's like we, we don't know what each other are thinking if we don't communicate with one another. Um, having the same love. What he says, complete my joy by having the same love. Well, what's that going to take? Well, it's going to take getting to know each other. It's going to take getting vulnerable with each other. Like not putting up walls and acting like we got it all together, man. It's like, let's just be real. Life's hard. I've been going through some tough seasons or whatever. And then we, we start to love one another. Because we're being honest and real with one another. He says to uh, complete my joy by being full accord and of one mind. And that's just something that we got we to gotta work on. We got to work on. It's going to take time. But it's possible. And so he moves on. And I want to get to, I don't want to keep you here too long. But verse 3 says, do nothing. Someone tell me that in the chat. Talk to me here. Do nothing. Do nothing. Come on, man. I got to wait till you guys get this here. Do nothing. Do nothing. Again, I got a lag, so I'm sorry if this is taking longer and you guys are putting it on there. But do nothing. We got to understand this. Do nothing. No thing. And he says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition or conceit. You guys, you guys with me? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And I want to hit on that for a minute because that's super huge. Super huge from us. Because what do we live in? We live in America, and it's a place motivi motivated by selfish ambition. I mean, have you ever heard the statement, do you? Do you? I mean, I've said it before. Hey, do you? 
Do you, man. Like, just do your thing, man. Do whatever you, you feel like you're called to do, right? It's like, that's almost the motto of America. Selfish ambition, uh, the pursuit of happiness, and the pursuit of just getting money, getting things, right? It's like we think that the more we have, the better life we have, but no. Um, so he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. And what I want you to note is that it's the place of selfish ambition even if it has somewhat good motives and good morals um, behind it, it is a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place to operate from when you're trying to promote yourself and get yourself somewhere, right? I mean, I don't want to show of hands or anything right now, um, but I mean, if we're honest, how many of you have sought promotion within a company or wherever you work, right, on your own means? Like, I'm going to work hard enough. I'm going to show them that I got what it takes. I'm going to start making some money and making some money moves, right? Different things like that. It's like we have this selfish ambition. And if we're honest, man, so many things that we do in life are out of a heart and a motive, a perspective of selfish ambition. And so Paul's like, don't do it. Do nothing. Like, and we could ask questions like, nothing, Paul? Like, what, what about a job? Can I, like, pursue a great job and, like, these different types of things to try and get... Um, to a certain place in life, right? It's like, well, he's like, well, is it out of a selfish ambition? And if we could answer that question and we say, well, yeah, it is, then it's like Paul would be like, well, then don't do it. Do nothing from a mindset, a heart of selfish ambition. Let me let you know this scripture here, 2 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Um, Paul writes, says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation." Those who des desire to be rich fall into temptation. He says, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I just want to read it again because it's just so weighty, so powerful, and there's a lot of words there. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So you might live a rich life now and you pursue things out of selfish ambition and self-satisfying, self-gratifying types of things, but your eternal retirement plan, well, it's not going to be looking too good, right? If you're investing in the here and now, you're going to be missing out on the there and then, okay? And, and then in 2 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul writes, says, but godliness with contentment is, help me if you know, great gain. He says, he even says this, we brought nothing into life and we can take nothing out of it. So it's almost like, why live life with the perspective of having selfish ambition to get as much as you possibly can, right? It's like, why have that? Because if you get all this stuff as much as you possibly can, you can't take it with you when you're gone. Solomon writes about that, right? In uh, Ecclesiastes, he's like, man, one man works and toils his whole life just for another man to come in and take it over and ruin those types of things. So Paul's like, just don't do anything from selfish ambition. Don't do it from a selfish drive. And then he also says, do nothing from conceit. I want to elaborate on that word for a minute, conceit. Um, the definition of conceit is excessive pride in oneself. Conceit, excessive pride in one's self. Let me just ask the question, how often do we have a conceited, prideful attitude? See, as Christians, man, we don't want to say that I'm prideful, right? Like, we don't want to be like, oh, I'm so um, proud, prideful kind of thing, because we know that pride comes before the fall. 
right? We know that pride is the, the really the root sin in every sin, right? It's like, well, I know better, like, like I, I know more than God does, and I can outdo it, and I can, whatever, right? Uh, pride is the root of really all sin. Even, I was reading a book one time for uh, Bible college, and he was saying how uh, pride is the root of even um, self-pity, Right? It's like because you think that you deserve more, right? Now you have the self-pity attitude and stuff. And it's like really that stems from a root of pride and pride is sin. It's like it's crazy. And pride is like the number one sin out there. But how many of us, we operate in a conceited attitude sometimes. We wouldn't like to say it that way. But let me just uh, kind of paint the picture, right? Often we think that we're doing good or doing someone a service by offering them our services or our opinions, right? Like, I mean, I wrote down some examples like churches. For me, I worked in a church for the last 11 years or so, starting a church now. Um, I've even been in this boat where I'm very critical of everything that I see, right? Like you hear a worship service and like you're looking at the lights and you're like, oh, well, they should have done this and they should have done that, right? You're hearing the sound and you're like, man, they should do this. And if they would just let me run the sound, things could be even better, right? Oh, man, they shouldn't have sang that song or they should have sung that song this way. And we're like, if I could just meet with the worship leader once and give them my, my, uh, my, we like to think like, oh, my God given, um, input, opinion, like it could just change everything and make everything better, right? It's like, how conceited is that? Even teachings, right? I've been there again too, where I just hear someone teach a passage and I'm like, man, if I had that passage, I would have said this. I, I would have just done this differently. And if he could have said this, like, oh man, I really think a lot of people would have came to Christ. We, we have this conceited mindset, like, oh, I know better, right? Excessive pride in oneself and our thoughts and our ideas and what we think that we know. Another example is work, and that probably applies to more of us than churches, right? Work. How many of you think like, oh, I could do a better job than my manager? If I was the manager of this place, man, things would really be looking good. We'd have this place cleaned up. We'd be efficient. We'd be, we'd have, be hitting numbers like, like ne never before seen, right? I could do a better job. And, right? We look at, um, different people, why did they do it this way? Why didn't they do it that way? And if only they'd listen to me, they'd really understand. And I could really solve it all and we'd be in a better place. But Paul says this again here, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition and do nothing from conceit, from this prideful attitude or this perspective of heart where we think that I know better than you do. Paul's like, no, don't do anything from that. And this is the problem is that oftentimes it feels right because we think that we're helping people, but really we're just tearing them down, right? Or we're criticizing and we're like, oh man, you should have done it this way. Or why, uh, let me time and do this. Like all you're telling them is like, you did a bad job um, and I could do better. And that's just a prideful attitude. And that's just, that never is a good way to operate in life. Um, he says in verse three, he says again, do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Man, say that with me. Count others more significant than yourself. That's a hard statement. But if we boil down Christ's perspective here tonight into one sentence, I would say that it's this, that if we want to have Christ's perspective, it's that, that Christ was always considerate of others. He was always doing things out of a heart and a motive for others, and he always counted them and us more important than himself. That's crazy to think, but that's what God did. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, God in the flesh, 
He didn't just say, oh, I'm going to go down and save him. Like, he did everything that he did for other people. We look at all the accounts throughout the Gospels. Like, why did he go to the woman at the well? Because he did it for her so that she could find eternal life. And then she actually went to the village, told everybody. Next thing you know, everybody's hearing about Jesus. It's like Jesus wasn't just so concerned about himself. He was concerned about others. He was living life for others. And so Paul says that. He says, count others more significant, more significant than yourselves. And so then the question there is, do you consider others more significant than yourself? Like, just be honest with yourself. Honestly, most times, I think probably like 8 out of 10 times, we probably don't. We probably don't. We probably don't even realize it. Do you consider others more significant than yourselves? And some people to think about, like your co-workers at work, when you are working with them, do you think that they're more significant than you? Oftentimes, our attitude is like, man... Like this dude, like he doesn't know what he's doing, and I'm just going to stick to my task, do me, right? Again, selfish ambition. I'm just going to do me, do you. Um, and we don't care about other people. We don't care if they fall or they fail. And oftentimes we're like, well, I hope they do fall and fail so that the boss can see that they're not who they think they are, right? They're like, do you consider others more significant than yourself? Do you consider your family more significant than yourself? I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I consider my family, my wife and my kids more significant than me. Like everything that I do, like going to work and working hard and tirelessly, it's for them because I want to be, I want to be a good dad, a good father, a good husband who provides for his family. And obviously I know God is the provider, um, but he's given me opportunity. And so I do it because I consider them so important. Right? If I didn't, it's like I would just leave them and I would just like not do anything for them. Right? And that's just terrible. But your family. Do you consider your friends more important than you? Right? Oftentimes we don't necessarily consider our friends more importantly than your boss even at work. Do you consider them more important or more significant than you? And then another question, do you even just do you consider just mere strangers more important than you? That's what Paul's saying. Consider others, not just consider like your best friend and your wife and your kids better than others, but just consider everybody better than yourself. Consider, consider others more than yourself. So maybe instead of jumping to the, the front of the line at the grocery store, you consider others' needs and you consider them more important than yourself and you let that person who has two or three items go in front of you. You see, even that, that's just a silly example, but man, it's so like right on the point. Like when we were like, ah, like you notice like they got three things, I got 30, but I'm trying to get home, right? Like that's selfish ambition. You see what I'm saying? That's selfish ambition. It's like, so if we could just actually operate out of a, a, a mind of love and considering others, like, ah, well, they only got three, come on in. Right? Or when you're driving a car and someone's like waiting there forever and you see them and you're like, ah, I can let them in, but if I let them in, then I gotta wait a little bit longer, right? It's like, consider others more important, more significant than yourselves. Um, that, so that's just a little uh, example of selfish ambition. Conceit, maybe instead of suggesting um, to, to your friend, your, um, your boss, your coworker, that you have a better idea and a better way of doing things and different stuff like that, like maybe instead of trying to push against the the plan that they have we submit to them and we can more significant than ourselves like well i feel like i got a better idea but i'm going to humble myself and i'm going to not only submit to you but i'm going to serve and i'm going to support your ideas and your plans and your way of doing things 
seeing selfish ambition and conceit, man, it can just lead us in a bad direction, cause division, cause destruction. Uh, but if we could just start to consider others more, that's what Christ did. Verse 4, he goes on, he says, uh, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And we already hit that pretty good, but don't only look to your own interest. And you do need to know that he doesn't say, don't, don't worry about yourself at all. Don't care about yourself and only care about everybody else. He says, don't only look to your interest. And he's implying that, hey, well, obviously you got to eat. You got to take care of your stuff, your business and things like that. And he's like, don't only look to your interest, but look to others. Look to the interest of others and consider them more important than yourself, right? So he's like, don't ignore your life and what God is doing and what he's calling you to do just to try and serve others. But he's like, hey, do what God's calling you and, and worry about your stuff, but also have a broader perspective. Worry about the people around you. Uh, you know, take care of yourself first. And, and also make sure you're in a good place. This is what I've heard before, too, is like we can't minister out of a place like where we don't have anything to minister from. Like if you haven't been ministered to by the Lord, what do you have to give anybody? Like you got to be filled up so that you can pour out. And so we got to understand we got to take care of ourselves there. This is uh, something I'm learning. Um, I, we're probably all learning. Right? It's like, but there's a time to say no. That, that's not wrong, right? If your boss says, hey, can you work an extra day? It's not wrong always to say no because, man, you need a day off. God made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. Like, he was showing us, like, hey, you can work for six days, and you can do all kinds of stuff, but you need rest is what he was trying to show us. That was the, the example he was setting. And so he's like, take care of yourselves, but then, but also look to the interest of others. Don't be so self-consumed and conceited that you miss out on what God wants to do in other people's lives around you. See how others are, are doing. See how you can help, I guess. Verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so this is where he's going to basically reiterate everything that we've just said and everything he said. But he says, Have this mind among yourselves, um, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count Equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, again, everything that he's, Paul's been talking about so far um, is all about the mindset and perspective of Jesus. And now he's just saying it very bluntly, very clear. He says, have the mind of Jesus. Have the perspective of Jesus. It's like when we look at Jesus, Jesus um, had, had everything, right? He is God. Realize that. The Bible says that everything was created um, by him and for him. That means like everything that we see, like the earth that we are standing or sitting on right now that is spinning hundreds of thousands of miles per hour, however, many, however fast it's going, right, around the sun, like he made that. Isn't that crazy? Like he was in heaven. He was the one who spoke. Like it said that um, it says that in the beginning was God and God uh, the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Well, what we see in Genesis is that God speaks. It says, "Let there be light." And there that those words. That's Jesus coming out, creating things. Like Jesus always was. He was. He's here. Always been here, man. He's the creator of everything. And so how amazing is that statement when we think, man, God the creator um, humbled himself, right? He had everything. 
many of us, we think that we got reasons and rights to, to act certain ways, right? Oh, I deserve this or um, whatever, right? It, Jesus had everything and he has every right for whatever he wants. Yet what we see in the scripture is that he set that aside to serve us. He set it aside to serve us. Again, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he, he was God, right? He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Like that's how much Jesus humbled himself. Like I'm going to separate myself from the Father for a season and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to go down. And he says, emptying himself, emptying himself. Like, hey, I'm up here on the throne. I'm the creator, but I'm going to come down to earth to my creation, he says, taking form, the form of a servant. The form of a servant. Think about, for a moment, some of your, your bosses or managers that you've worked for. Think about them for a minute. And, and think about, specifically, the ones or the one that you might say that you really especially love and respect. I will say that, man, I've had the, the honor, blessing, whatever you want to call it, to work for the privilege to work for, like, most of my managers and bosses, are, I love and respect them. Uh, very few was there ever that, that didn't meet that, that mindset. But think about the ones that you love and respect, and then think about the reason why you loved and respected them so much. Just think about it for a second. Why did you love and respect those managers or those bosses more than other bosses and managers at other, um, other jobs, right? Well, uh, for me, anyways, the, the ones that I love and respect the most were the ones who would be uh, helping with my job, uh, getting in and doing it with me, right? It's like they weren't just telling me what to do, but they're actually doing it beside me. I can think of a couple managers. One of my managers um, at the restaurant that I used to work at, man, like there was times when I was a busser. I'm going through, like, my job is to bust tables. And he would tell me that, like, hey, can you go clear this table? And can you do this? And whatever. And I would do it, right? But then the time where he really gained my, my respect is, like, I'd come back with a full tray of dishes. And he'd be there, his coat's off, hung up. And he's just there, sleeves rolled up. And he's like, here, give me the, give me the tray. I'm going to clear those dishes for you. Just leave it here. I got it, right? I'm like, seriously? I remember the first time seeing it, like, seriously? Are you serious right now? Like, you're the manager, you shouldn't be doing this. But it makes perfect sense. It's like, yes, the manager should be doing that because they're the ones who are leading the way. But not just telling you what to do, they're doing it with you, right? It's like, so that happened. There was a, a manager who um, I was working with at FedEx. Like, he would be in the trucks, loading trucks with you. Not just telling you to load trucks, but he'd be there loading the packages on the trucks. Another manager, he was like the guy, the manager of the whole station, uh, one of my first days, I'm unloading trucks at FedEx, right? I was by myself. There's one scanner uh, with me, man. And, I'm, and let me tell you, if you've never been a package handler, like it's hard work, man. It's hard work, especially when you're unloading a pack or a trailer by yourself. Well, this dude sees me unloading this thing. And again, he's the, the manager of the whole place. Like he's the boss. Um, he could fire anybody at any given moment uh, not have to give an explanation for himself, essentially. Well, this dude sees me working by myself, and he hops in the trailer with me, and he starts unloading the truck, right? So for me, I'm like, dude, this guy's a real G. Like, you got my respect. You got my love. Like, man, like, you, you're a real one, right? The ones that you love best or, or you respect the most, it's, they're the ones who are doing the job with you. 
And so many people will ask, be like, well, why do you follow Jesus or why should I follow Jesus? Well, a very simple statement, well, because he was in it with us. He didn't just tell us what to do. Hey, go live a perfect life. Go forgive people and go love people and help people and serve people. No, Jesus was like, hey, let me come down off of my throne in heaven, by the way, right? He doesn't say that, though. That's how loving and humble Jesus is. He's like, hey, I left heaven and all praise and worship and glory and honor happening to me right, to come down to you. I just want you to know that. Like He's like, I, he doesn't even say that. He comes down to serve us, to, to do that for us. He's in it with us. He's in it for us. And there's no greater God to follow. So like, why do we follow Jesus? Why do we have, um, why should we have respect and love for him? Well, it's because he gave it all. Like he stepped down um, from his throne to serve our greatest need. That being sin, by the way. That being that we needed forgiveness and atonement of our sin. So Jesus saw that, man, he's like, they need some help. So he hopped into this thing called life with us, and he died for us so that we could have eternal life with him. Um, man, Jesus is the real deal. Uh, God Almighty, think, I think of it this way sometimes, like Jesus, he's like the CEO of the universe, and he stepped down to be the janitor. Like, you don't see that in any company. Hey, man, the CEO, a successful businessman. Like all of a sudden he stepped down to serve and be a janitor or this successful um, restaurant owner hopped in to do dishes with the dishwasher, right? It's like you don't see that, at least not very often. But that's what Jesus did. He's like, man, I am God Almighty, the ruler, creator of the universe. But man, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to come down to you and serve your greatest need because, man, you need some help. And I love you so much that I'm going to give my life for you so that you could live for me. Come on, guys. Is that good or what? Man, that's what Jesus did. And so he became a servant, is what he said. He took on the form of man um, in the form of a servant to serve our greatest need. It says, being born in the likeness of men. So like God in his glory, he like boils it down to be a human being, right? Again, it's like humbling himself. It's crazy. And then he says, and being found in human form, this is verse 8. He says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. And so he, he, he humbled himself to become a servant for us. And he didn't just serve us, but he died for us. So when we have, want to have Christ's perspective, it's everything that Paul's been saying. He's like, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit or from your own motive or for your own desires. He's like, do it for others. Why? Because Jesus did it for you. If we want to have Christ's mind and Christ's perspective, it's like we got to have this idea where it's like, man, life is not about me. It's about Jesus and me using my to make him known. Christ's perspective. I boiled it down to four things. He's humble. He's a servant. He's obedient. And he's committed. Humble, servant, obedient, committed. Now let's just look at what that does right here. Verse 9 it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, I love that. See, see, because he humbled himself, because he took on the form of servant and the form of a man, because he was obedient to do what the Father's will was, and because he was committed, committed till death 
do you part kind of thing, right? It's like he was in it to win it. And so therefore, he says, God has highly exalted him. He's at the highest place that, that any possible, uh, any pos the highest place anybody could ever be, right? And he's put his name above every name. So that at his name, Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. That's something we got to know. We got to think about. We got to comprehend that you will bow at the, the foot of Jesus one day. And did you see what he said? He said, every knee in heaven, like those who are with him, every knee on earth and every knee under the earth, right? It's like, I just feel like he's talking about hell. He's talking about those who are eternally separated. It's like those who are with me and those who are apart, it doesn't matter where you're at, you're going to bow down to Jesus. And hopefully for you and I, we'll be the ones up in heaven bowing down, singing glory and praise and, and bowing down um, to the glory of Jesus Christ. So God, the Father, highly exalts him. And this is... And Jesus has been teaching this all the time. Paul's not the first one to say this. Paul is just merely echoing what Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, Jesus says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Peter also echoes it in one of his letters that he writes, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the, the mighty hand of God, so that, that uh, guys, tongue tied here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He, God, may exalt you. See, Jesus has been preaching it and teaching it his whole life. And again, that's what I love about him, is he's not just preaching and teaching, he's actually living it. He, he lived the example. He preached, he taught things, he taught love, he talked about forgiveness, he talked about service, and he did all of those things. That's what he's done. And so to have the mindset of Christ, what it means is like we, we humble ourselves. Like, hey, I'm not all that. Life is not about me. It's about God using me to glorify him. And so God, however you want to do that, if that means me being a janitor, if that means me being a dishwasher, if that means me being a package handler, whatever, right? It's like, it doesn't matter, God, I'm here for you. So we humble ourselves. We say, God, whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, like I'm not better than the next person. That's what you need to understand. So many people think like, well, I'm better than that. I don't need to be doing that. That's not my job. I'm far beyond that. And I, you know what I mean? Like, no, we're all in the same boat. We're all God's creation. We're all God's loved ones, all God's kids. Jesus died for your neighbor just as much as he died for you. Man, humble yourselves. And he says, and seek to serve. So the mindset of Christ, we need to humble ourselves, we need to seek to serve, we need to be obedient to the calling, to the things that God has put on our life, even if being obedient means that things are going to get worse. you got to understand that. Like sometimes following Jesus in faith will bring worse things. Jesus, one time, one of the Gospels, he sent the disciples out on a boat, like, I'm pretty sure it was after one of the times he fed like the 5,000 or the 4,000. And then he gets them in a boat and he's like sends them to the other side. And then Jesus has some time with the Father. Well, as they're on the boat, the storm comes. You remember that? Like the storm comes and then they're all freaking out and stuff. And that's when Jesus 
walks to them on the water and is like, what, why are you guys freaking out and different things like that, right? It's like, well, that's just an, that's an instance, an example of like Jesus calls us to something and it doesn't mean that it's all going to be good and get better and be easy, smooth sailing. No, things might get worse. So having the mindset of Christ is like, hey, I'm going to push through. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to serve. And I'm going to be obedient even if things get worse. And then the last thing is we're going to be humble, serve, be obedient. We're going to be committed. Like, till death do us part. That's what Paul's saying. That's what he's been saying the whole time. Like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I just want Christ to be honored in my body. I just want it to all be for him and for you guys. If I do die, to be able to be like, man, Paul is an example of someone that I want to follow. Robbie Zacharias, right? Again, like I started out the message. He's a guy like, I want to be like him. I want to end my race well. I want to be able to just sit at the feet of Jesus one day. Jesus, I gave it all for you. I was all about you, trying to tell people about you. And man, we're committed. See, that's the perspective of Christ. And, and I love again, I just want to hit it again. Verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the, the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Right now, maybe you're in a time where you're like, you just really, you're seeking promotion. And whatever, maybe it's your job, right? It's like, man, I just want a promotion in my job right now. God, come through for me in my job. And, and you're trying to work your way in your will into your life, right? But remember God's prayer, the, the Lord's prayer. It's like, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's like, your will be done in my life. Your kingdom come in my life on earth as it is in heaven. And so I love what Peter said is humble yourself. And at the right time, God will exalt you. Humble yourself. There's never a better place to be than a humble posture, ready to serve, aware of others, perspective of other people who have needs, right? You're not the only one with needs, guys. we got to see other people as we see ourselves. And so humble, uh, seeking to serve, being obedient, being committed. And he's like, at the proper time, he will exalt you. I wrote down just because I believe that it's true and that, that you need to know it, that promotion comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from the Lord. Through being humble, obedient, servant-minded, and committed. Like if you're looking for promotion within your own workplace, like you want to get to another level, it's like be humble, right? You're never too good to do anything. You're being obedient even if you don't agree with everything that they say and do. You're being servant-minded where it's like, hey, I'm here to serve. If they're asking you to work a little bit more or do something that's not always in your, your, your job description, you're just a servant and you're committed. You're like, hey, I'm here. You're there on time every single day. You're not taking longer breaks than you should, right? Like if you wanted to do that, like you humble yourself and you get to business, it's like you're going to see doors open. And so God's even saying, he's like, or Peter's saying, man, humble yourself and God at the right time, he's going to promote you. Promotion, real promotion that matters comes from the Lord. So again, humble yourselves. Write these down with me in the chat, would you? Four things. Write them down. I want you to remember them. I don't want you to forget it, right? Taking notes. I mean, it's not a requirement to get into heaven, but it will definitely help us remember things. So write these down. Four things. Humble yourself. Seek to serve. Be committed. Or be obedient. Be committed. Humble yourselves. Seek to serve. Be obedient. Be committed. That's Christ's perspective. That's Christ's perspective, that others matter more than me. I'm going to put others before myself. And, and, and that should be our mindset too. 
If we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we call ourselves a Christian, that should be our mindset. Amen? You agree with me? I see some amens, some I agree, some thumbs up emojis, little likes or whatever, man. That's the word of God. That's Christ's mindset. Man, he considered you and I worth more than himself, right? God had every reason, every right to say, no, man, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to the cross. I'm going to exalt myself right now. No, but he served. It's like through serving, he, he got the promotion, if you will. And that's something that I, I forgot to write it down in my notes, so I forgot how how to say it. But like, you... If you are seeking selfish ambition, like if you're seeking your self-interest, the best thing to do is to put other people's interest above your own. Like that's the best way. If you want to have a selfish, like the, a godly selfish mindset, if I can even say that, I know that's like a total um, anomaly, doesn't make sense kind of thing, right? But like if you want to have the best self-interest perspective on life, have the interest of others matter more. As you care for others, they're going to care for you. God's going to care for you, right? It's like, that's how God wants it to be. That's Christ's perspective. Seek to serve, guys. And so, again, that should be ours. Um, and let, let's close in prayer. And I got a couple closing announcements. But God, we love your word. We love your perspective on life, your perspective on us, how you gave yourself to us or for us, God, so that we could live for you. God, we pray that you would just fill us with that mindset, Lord. Rebuke any selfish ambition. Rebuke any conceit in us right now, God. I pray that as I'm, as I'm praying, God, that you are helping lead us to repentance, God. And Lord, just lead us to a fruitful life of humbling ourselves, Lord. Serving others. Being obedient to you, God. Being committed to you and committed to others and doing what we said we'd do. So God, we love you and I just, uh, we thank you for this all. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>